Welcome aboard to the Great Movie Podcast. I'm Becca. And I'm Katie. And we'll be your guides through this magical journey into the movies. Please keep all arms, hands, feet, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. And don't forget to supervise your children. Do I sound like a Disney cast member yet? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we should. We've had lots of practice. Uh, So everyone buckle up. Today we're... We're going to be talking about everyone's favorite talking dinosaur movie made in the year 2000. Dinosaur! Is it, though, because Land Before Time 7, I think, oh, yeah. came out in 2000. You're right. You're right. So it could be your second favorite talking dinosaur movie that came out in the year 2000. True. It, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. It's also everyone's favorite generically titled Disney movie. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Wait until we talk about some of the newer uh, Pixar, Pixar movies, movies, right? <laughs> yeah. So because the name is like that, it has been difficult for us to look up some stuff about this movie because you can't just Google like dinosaur cast because a whole multitude of things could pop up. You have to be very specific, like animated Disney dinosaur film 2000 cast. Yeah. So <laughs> the, uh, Forgive us if we mentioned that a couple times throughout the episode because we're just going to mention this briefly. This has been a bit of a mess of a recording. Uh, for our fourth recording episode, we haven't had anything crazy go wrong up until now. And this one, we've had recording issues on my end, recording issues on Katie's end so I think this is now the third time we've recorded the beginning of this episode and we have three separate recordings for this episode so if anything's a little off about this episode you'll know why yeah if we ever like reference something like oh we talked about this previously and for some (laughs) reason we didn't that is why because we recorded in chunks multiple times so honestly like it's a miracle that this episode's even coming out yeah yeah there's also just life stuff like pandemic and both of us have lots of stuff going on but we'll get into it and the good news is on the flip side we should have an amazing first part of this episode since we've had so much practice at it that is true (laughs) one other piece of mousekeeping for everyone we now have a sources document katie actually linked it in the description of the last episode we put out onward so if you look at the description for that episode you should see a link it's going to take you to a google document and what we're going to do from now on is continue putting that same google document link in every episode description and i'll just be updating and katie will just be updating the sources document with all the sources we use so if i reference or katie references any articles or youtube videos or anything like that you can find all those in the episode description with that link yeah So now let's move on to the fact file. So pretty basically the movie came out on May 19th, 2000. As we mentioned before, it came out in the year 2000. And some notable actors, I'm not going to go through the list of all of them. I'm just going to kind of mention the big ones. Um, Alfre Woodard was the voice of Pleo, and she actually has some experience now working with uh, Marvel properties. So she was in Civil War and she was also in Luke Cage. Yep, she plays Mariah Dillard in Luke Cage. And um, Katie and I are just going to pick, basically, probably we'll reference the main character actor in every 
film we talk about and then the other ones we're just gonna say ones we know so yeah sorry sorry if you guys know more actors than we do but uh I you know if we don't have anything to say about them we're not going to mention them and uh Alfre Woodard also was in 12 Years a Slave which I haven't seen but that's a pretty big movie as well so yeah um and then Hayden Panettiere Panettiere um was the voice of Suri, and she also has previous experience working with Disney. She was in the, she lent her voice to the Pixar movie It's a Bug's Life. She was the littlest sister of Princess Ada, I believe, Dot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So kind of around the same time, I think we Bug's Life came out two years before. Yeah, ninety eight. Dinosaur, so around the same age for both of those. And then DB Sweeney was the voice of Aladar, who. Um, I don't know, and I don't know if he's really done anything of note since then. Uh, Samuel E. Wright was the voice of Kron. 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 Oh, my God. <laughs> We've recorded this three times, and I've gotten it wrong every single time. Kron. Sorry, it's spelled Kron. And I watched the movie with subtitles, so I always, in my head, said Cron, but it's Crone. I tried to change it in the notes so it's spelled out phonetically Crone, but I forgot this one because last time we recorded it, which I thought would be the last time, you were you had already said it, so I only changed the other ones in the notes. Oh God. So anyway, <laughs> Simply Wright is the voice of Crone, and um, he actually also does the voice of Seb- Sebastian from The Little Mermaid, which I don't know if two characters could be any more different honestly yeah. so that's really interesting and then juliana margolis was the voice of nira and she's probably best known for her um role in good wife so she plays like the main character in good wife i don't know her in anything else yeah i mean i'm sure she's been in other things <laughs> um so those are kind of like the main characters and the actors that we know so then moving on to the director so it was actually a directing duo of eric layton and ralph zondag or zondag um and he actually had previous experience ralph did um working on the land before time so he knows what it takes to create an animated talking dinosaur film for children he's cornered the market on that basically one quick note about crone cron it's what i don't we had this discussion this is the third time now but i don't understand why they would spell it cron because that's a name and for all you huge hurricane fans out there you'll recognize the name robert cron as a former hurricanes player so yeah i do the same thing every time i read the name cron in the credits or in the subtitles i want to say cron because that's how it's spelled so i don't understand why they didn't spell it crone but the names in the movie are a bit odd in general yeah so moving on to budget and box office the movie had an estimated budget of 127.5 million which was the most expensive computer animated film ever made at the time when it came out in 2000 as well as the most expensive film made that year But it actually was not a box office flop. I don't know if you'd call it like a huge box office success, but you know, it did pretty well. In its opening weekend, it made $38.8 million and was the number one movie of the weekend, which beat out Gladiator, another pretty big movie from that year. And in terms of cumulative gross in the U.S., it made 
almost 137.8 million and in the worldwide gross it was just under 350 million which made it enough money to land on the top 10 movies of 2000 as well as the highest grossing animated film of the year just for reference a couple other animated films that came out that year included another disney movie emperor's new groove came out that year as well as Road to El Dorado came out that year. There was a Pokemon animated movie that came out that year. Do you remember any of the other ones? Chicken Run. Oh, that's the one I always forget. Chicken Run, I think, which was the actual second highest grossing animated film of the year. So, like, not a huge crop of great animated movies, but, you know, it still, you know, still made the most of out of all of them. And in terms of critic receptions and awards and nominations, the movie has a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. So stay tuned to see how close our rating out of 100 is to 64. You know, Yeah, we already know. <laughs> yeah, but you don't. So <laughs> yeah. wait and find out. Stick around. And in terms of awards and nominations, I'm not sure if anyone else looks at IMDb as much as I do, but you can always see what awards and nominations the movie has received. But you would think it would just kind of include Oscars, Golden Globes, big stuff like that. It doesn't. It includes literally everything from all countries. So, you know, hundreds of different award ceremonies. So Dinosaur didn't really get nominated or win anything of consequence. But one thing I found kind of funny that I'll include on here is that it was nominated for Worst Screenplay for a film grossing more than $100 million at the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. But it didn't win. So, you know, bad screenplay, but not the absolute worst of the year. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the screenplay was really that bad. It is like a children's movie. So sometimes those don't have the best. That's true. I wonder how many movies grossed more than $100 million, though. Yeah, that's true. So then moving on to sequels, remakes, spinoffs, TV shows, all adjacent media. So there was a computer game made based on, I almost said The Land Before Time, (laughs) Dinosaur. But there was no sequel actually made. There was an announced sequel that was planned and then canceled. And if you are super passionate about wanting to see that sequel, you can sign a petition on change.org to get that sequel made. So we'll link that petition in our, I'll probably, we can link it in both the episode description and the notes doc. Yeah. The resources doc. Join me and 126 others who have signed the (laughs) petition. petition yeah I don't know if I want to sign this petition (laughs) I want a sequel but um I'll talk about it when we do our review section of the podcast so stick around to see what sequel I'd like to be made because it's probably not the (laughs) same one that a lot of people want so moving on to our next section story origin and making of it has a pretty interesting to me anyway story about the actual production of the film and how that got off the ground so the original idea for the movie actually goes all the way back to 1986 and it happened on the set of the film RoboCop which I have never seen but the director of that movie Paul Verhoeven and the visual effects producer and animator that was working on the film Phil Tippett got together and conceived of this dinosaur movie that they thought was going to be really gritty and dirty and and gross and violent and rated r and they thought oh this would be a great movie so when they finished the movie they were like great we have this cool idea for like a dinosaur movie let's pitch it to disney which i feel like there there's something missing from the story here 
All of this information, by the way, comes from a Sci-Fi Wire article that is linked in our sources, so feel free to check it out. But it's based on some interviews as well as a book about the making of the film. So I think the author of the article maybe like skipped something in the story because I'm not sure how it went from like a gross story about the extinction of dinosaurs with no dialogue to a Disney pitch. But anyway, that's what happened. So sometime before 1990, but after 1986, the these two guys pitched it to Disney as a stop-motion animated movie with no dialogue. So just kind of dinosaurs, stop-motion stuff. So there was kind of a big difference in ideas between Disney and these two guys. But there was also a big difference in budget. They had asked for reportedly $72 million and Disney wanted to give them $20 million to make the movie. Which is funny to me because if you combine that, that's still less than the actual budget <laughs> that the movie needed in 2000. There was kind of um, some pushback on like, you know, should there be voiceover? But narration, internal dialogue, Disney really wanted... Disney style like musical with talking dinosaurs and dinosaurs with eyelashes and stuff and it got to the point where the original idea and what Disney wanted were so different that Tippett and Verhoeven just said screw it like we're done and walked out of a meeting basically but it's really interesting because the visual effects guy Tippett actually got uh after he left this got a script of Jurassic Park from one Kathleen Kennedy, who was a producer of Jurassic Park. Um, many of you probably recognize that name because she's now the head of Lucasfilm. So it's the same Kathleen Kennedy. And so he actually, you know, said, I'm completely done with this dinosaur. I'm going to work on Jurassic Park. Well, it turned out pretty well for him because he actually won an Oscar for Best Visual Effects. So during all this time, like, you know, Jurassic Park comes out in 1993. Uh, Michael Eisner is the CEO of Disney at the time. And if you have taken our recommendation and watching watched the Imagineering story on Disney Plus like we said you may know kind of a little bit of this story or like at least can make a little bit more sense of this story so Michael Eisner called the 90s the Disney decade so by 1990 Disney had opened MGM Studios now called Hollywood and was ready to open their fourth park at Disney World in Orlando and they had some ideas floating around but eventually they decided they wanted to be themed around animals and Joe Rohde was the Imagineer in charge of the project and again if you know Imagineering story you probably recognize that name Joe Rohde um so he actually just announced his retirement not too long ago and he is honestly like an icon in the probably maybe in a small community like the people who are obsessed with like the Disney parks and especially Disney World he he has a his handprint is really heavily on the in the animal kingdom um and then in the Imagineering story I think he he's featured quite a bit when they talk about the building of Pandora so I think he had a heavy input on that as well and he if you don't know who we're talking about but think you might recognize him he's the guy who's got like the really wild earrings and he normally like I think they're like long and they're normally like has feathers in them or something and he's normally wearing a, a hat so that is Joe Rohde and he is going to be sorely missed at Disney World and in Imagineering so yeah and if you follow us on Twitter at great movie underscore pod you may recognize that and realize that he retired because I actually believe I retweeted and liked some stuff about his retirement so an icon a legend he will be missed but yeah. the reason that animal he's not dead though <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah he'll be missed in his work at Disney the reason all this is important though is because 
when Disney decided to go with Animal Kingdom, and by 1993, Michael Eisner had decided he wanted to incorporate a a dinosaur-themed land at Animal Kingdom. And so he decided, well, we already had this idea about a dinosaur movie, like, let's resurrect that, bring that back, and tie it into the parks. You know, he was all about tying in different media stuff. So the movie was originally called Countdown to Extinction and Katie's going to talk more about the ride history so I don't want to get into that. But even though they had the title for the movie and that they wanted to tie it into the parks and that was going to be about dinosaurs, they still didn't know exactly what the story was and they didn't know how they were going to make it. So in 1996, Michael Eisner acquired Dream Quest Images, which was a digital studio doing like computer generated graphics, and they decided they were going to use this across all of their media so live action films for computer generated graphics but also to make completely computer generated animation but they still didn't have the story they were still kind of going back and forth on like should they have narration should they have no talking should they have voiceover but no mouth movements of the dinosaurs like not limp synced Michael Eisner actually didn't like that idea because he thought it meant that they couldn't physically achieve that or digitally achieve that and like it looked worse. So finally they just kind of fell back to the old standard of like talking animals, talking dinosaurs. In October 29th of 1999, Disney announced their digital studio which was called The Secret Lab which was made up of DreamQuest images plus Disney animation and basically at the time partially because of Michael Eisner uh, Pixar and Disney didn't have the greatest relationship and looked like they would kind of part ways eventually. Obviously we know they eventually merged back together but this was kind of supposed to be like Disney's alternative or competitor even to Pixar. Unfortunately even though Dinosaur was a pretty big box office success the other projects that the secret lab worked on weren't and dinosaur wasn't the like hit that they thought it would be especially for all the money they put into it and the secret lab eventually kind of collapsed and went away so that's a little bit about the behind the scenes making of dinosaur so we'll move on to personal connections um unless katie has anything else to add nope kind of a wild story and i like, I just don't, I'm, again, you kind of talked about this at the beginning, like maybe we're missing some information, but I don't understand the pitch that the original guys were planning on pitching to Disney, like a stop motion graphic dinosaur flick. Just, I feel like all three of those words do not match together. And then on top of that, pitching it to Disney just seems like such an odd decision. The only thing, and I literally just thought of this now and I haven't brought it up on either of the previous recordings, is maybe they pitched it to multiple studios. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely possible. Disney was like, wanted pitches. Yeah, but it still just seems like a very odd idea in general. (laughs) I agree. I agree. All right, so moving on to personal connections. If you listened all the way through to the end of our Onward episode, you know I was and continue to be a huge fan of dinosaurs, and I was a massive dinosaur kid. I always wanted to research them, and I loved my dinosaur movies, fictional and otherwise. Two of my other favorite movies besides this one include the entire Land Before Time series. That was my jam. We have all of those on VHS as well as I'll give a special shout out to the BBC documentary, Walking with Dinosaurs, narrated by none other than Kenneth Branagh himself. Amazing documentary series, which unfortunately I've read recently turned out to be like kind of a lot of false 
claims in that. So if you watch it today, like disclaimer, a lot of the stuff they say in there, I think researchers now don't quite believe anymore. But for the time, it was groundbreaking and incredible. And I think I like wore out those VHSs that I had at my grandparents' house and I I did end up watching it like about a year or two ago. I remembered watching it over and over as a kid and I saw it on Amazon Prime or something and I watched it all in one weekend and I was like, oh man, this still slaps. And then (laughs) after I watched it, I was like looking up stuff about it and I saw that, you know, a lot of it you know, researchers don't really believe anymore. And I was like, oh, this is so disappointing. But anyway, I definitely saw this film. I definitely saw this film in theaters. I definitely watched it quite a bit. After Land Before Time, my favorite dinosaur was a Triceratops for quite a while. But I think after this movie, my favorite dinosaur was an Iguanodon for a while. So definitely influenced my dinosaur taste as a kid. And I know Katie doesn't remember this because, as you remember, she said she probably hasn't seen this before. I am 99% sure this is Katie's first Disney movie and possibly movie ever in theaters. And so our aunt and uncle went to go take us to this movie. So pretty fun fact there. Yeah. But yeah, that's about it. So like Rebecca kind of just alluded to, um, I... I've been told I've seen it by Rebecca. If Rebecca was watching it, it was probably on when I was in the room, but I literally have no recollection of watching this movie. Even as I was watching it, I I didn't remember anything. I didn't remember any of the characters' names. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't remember the storyline. It was like watching a brand new movie. So if I had seen it, it was probably before the age of like five. Yeah, I don't really have any personal connection to the movie. And then along with the ride dinosaur, I didn't ride that ride for like an embarrassingly long amount of time. I don't know if the the first time I rode it, because, because I was scared, like let me be clear, I'm not going to gloss over that fact. I didn't ride it because I was scared to ride it. Probably until like my sophomore or junior year of high school, so... And I have like the only personal connection I have to that ride is I have vivid memories of when you walk up the kind of walkway to Dinosaur in the Dino Institute building. If you veer off to the left, there's this covered sitting area. Like I think there's benches. And I remember just like sitting there waiting for my family to come off the ride because I didn't want to ride it. And my cousin who's six years younger than me was riding it. Yeah, that's my, I do like the ride now. It's definitely a must do at Animal Kingdom and it normally has a pretty decent wait time. I feel like it's definitely one of those rides that you can, like it it could, it can have an over hour wait, but I feel like no matter what, unless you're going on like an ungodly busy day, like you could probably ride it for like half an hour or less wait. Like it, it fluctuates and like depending on the other rides and kind of what if they're down that day but still I think you can you can generally get a pretty good wait time for dinosaur yeah that's definitely right and I'm gonna jump in and talk a little bit about my connection with the dinosaur ride if you are a longtime listener and have listened to all of our episodes you know that all four of our episodes you know that dinosaur is not my favorite animal kingdom ride but it is my best friend Ashley's absolute favorite dinosaur like ride ever dinosaur is her favorite ride so much so that when she listened she's a listener by the way when she listened to our onward episode and heard us announce dinosaurs our next episode she texted me immediately and was like oh my god you're doing dinosaur my favorite ride ever like I'm to be sh- to be honest I'm not even sure if she's seen the movie 
<laughs> but she loves the ride so much. She even has her own merch. I don't. I I like Dinosaur and I like the ride. I like both the movie and the ride. But I don't have any merch. She has merch, so she's a real fan. But a quick fun story about the the ride. So we went together for spring break when we were in college. And Ashley has some motion sickness, you know, issues. And so she, you know, doesn't go on every ride and has to be careful on rides and stuff, even if she has like medication or she's being careful and stuff. So, you know, me having been to Disney quite a bit before that, I told her, you know, before we went, if there's like ever a ride you don't feel comfortable going on, you know, don't feel like you have to push it. I've probably ridden every ride we're going to go on. So I have no problem, you know, going at your pace, doing whatever you want to do. If we want to see a show, we can see a show. I was, you know, being very accommodating and, and, you know, wanted her to feel comfortable and stuff. And if she had any questions, you know, I was, I'd be happy to answer them, tell you, you know, what I know about the ride. So came time for us to go on Dinosaur. And so I said, you know, this ride is like pretty jerky, pretty all over the place, dark and scary, but I wasn't as worried about that. You know, I mean, to be fair, though, like Katie said, it is a pretty intense ride. So anyway, I I was fully convinced she would not want to go on that. And she was like, well, you know, like, I'll try it. We'll see how it goes. I said, okay, but I wasn't convinced. I really thought we were going to wait in line and she wasn't going to want to ride it. Well, she obviously she did ride it. And I if I'm wrong, I'm sure she'll text me right away. But I think it was her first time going on it and she loves it. So I like to think that I played a little bit of a part in her favorite ride at Disney. So yeah, that's the story. So moving on to our next section, our quotes from the quote book add a little magic. As we mentioned, this is a really old book that came out, I believe, prior to 2000 or right after. So Dinosaur is not included. But here is my submission for edition two of the book, what quote should be included from Dinosaur. So from the beginning, narration, Pleo tells us, sometimes the smallest thing can make the biggest changes of all. I feel like that's a very appropriate inspirational quote for a kid's book yeah I like that there were a couple others I considered there's a nice conversation between Pleo and Bruton about uh, uh, fate and choice and about hope Um, but those were a bit shorter and don't sound quite so nice out of the context of the conversation so that's the only reason I didn't include it plus going forward I may try to just pick one maybe two quotes because I'm afraid we're going to get to some that are going to have like a ton of quotes and I'm just going to be like ah. yeah so then for our VHS DVD collection update we do have Dinosaur on DVD and my guess is it's probably one of the first Disney movies that we have on DVD like as it came out um it was 2000 so um I feel like it was kind of just the beginning of the popularity of the DVD. I mean, I could be wrong. I was two at this point, so who knows what I know. But as Rebecca has mentioned in previous recordings, Bugs Life came out two years before, and we do have that on VHS. So kind of right on the cusp of the DVD explosion. I think last time I looked it up, like the first DVDs came out in 97, but I'm not sure how long it took for them to become more accessible and popular. And when we, our family, got a DVD player... We do have Emperor's New Groove, which also came out in 2000, and Fantasia 2000 on DVD, but I don't know if we got those right away, whereas the Dinosaur DVD we have looks like it was purchased not too long after it came out on DVD, which may have been, like, Christmas of of the year 2000, so. Yeah. 
Well, moving right along, the next section we have is first overall impressions or things you didn't remember, also known as the section where we include stuff we don't know where to put in other sections. (laughs) Um, So for me, I watched it twice to prepare for the podcast. Once was a couple weeks ago and once just the other day. And the first time I watched it, I have to say, like, my first overall impression was, like, complete nostalgia. I... It's a movie I could tell I definitely watched a good number of times as a kid, maybe like between 10 and 20, maybe a little bit more, something around there. But I haven't seen in years and years, like probably since I was 12, maybe a little bit older. But just from how I felt watching it the first time, I, unlike Katie, I remembered, you know, I could give you the basic outline of the story probably before I watched it. But as soon as I started watching it, I started remembering details. I remembered the music. I love the soundtrack of this. We'll talk about music later. I remember specific lines of the movie, specifically when Nira insults Aladar in the beginning. And she's like, that children is what's known as a jerkosaurus. I, as soon as she started saying that, I was like, oh my God, I love this line. I definitely repeated that a lot as a child. (laughs) I thought that was like the height of humor. I remembered like specific characters and stuff once I got into the movie. So super nostalgic. The second time, not quite as much. I saw a little bit more of the flaws in the movie. A couple other things I want to just briefly mention here is if this is considered an animated movie, which it is because it's on the official list, why is it Lion King, the re, uh, live action remake, also considered animation? Because it's the same thing. It's shot on like a live action background with computer generated graphics. So, I mean, like my best answer for that is that like they ha- they wanted to remake Lion King, but obviously you can't do live action Lion <laughs> King. Can you imagine? Um, oh my god! <laughs> but they wanted to remake it because they knew that they were going to make money off of it, and they could get these huge name people to yeah. be in it to make them even more money. And so they just had to bill it as live action. Yeah. And like, I mean, granted, I don't, I don't know who's in charge of the animation list. Whether like Disney has. Mm power over that or if they just listened to Disney and like how it was marketed but yeah I think we talked about this uh, like in previous episodes that the live action Lion King is not actually live action (laughs) yeah yeah I will continue to bring this up or I'll I should say I'll try to make this the last time I bring it up but it's just (laughs) funny because yeah I, I agree with you they can't market it as a Lion King animated remake like who wants to remake a movie that's less than you know 30 years old like that's so strange but anyway that's that's my first impressions so after watching this I was just like overall shocked at kind of how graphic and intense this movie was they they showed blood so like when the dinosaurs got injured that you could see their wounds bleeding you could see animals eating each other at one point we literally saw like a a decaying carcass of of a dinosaur um there's lots of death just in general and they kind of and just throughout the movie there's this hang hanging kind of like tension that if you get left behind, you're going to die. And they even, like, pass dead bodies that, like, got left behind of dinosaurs. And they show dead bodies. Like I mentioned before, like, that kind of really shocked me. I feel like a lot of times Disney doesn't show the dead bodies of the villains. There's lots of falling that happens. Notably, like, Tarzan in Atlantis, the villain, he, like, falls off the air balloon. The hot air balloon that's going up. Beauty and the Beast, Gaston falls. 
I think that's a really clever way to not show the villain. And I even think when Ursula gets stabbed by the bow, it's in shadow. It's backlit or something. So I just like was kind of shocked by that. And I definitely think that it has something to do with the fact that they're dinosaurs. Like I do think we see Bambi's dead mother in Bambi. And we obviously see Mufasa in The Lion King. So just the number I feel like of dead bodies that we saw. And we also saw characters like actively die on screen. Like we watched crone take his last breath (laughs) got it right that time so i don't know i just thought it was like pretty intense and pretty graphic for a disney movie that was kind of like my takeaway or first impression of it yeah it's interesting i definitely didn't think of it but i think partially because i knew what to expect a bit more from the story but i definitely agree with you on the the classic disney villain death because most of them do die in the end right is like the fall where we don't see them but it's interesting because a couple people do fall on this one of the carnotaurs falls but then they show it then they show yeah, him they, like, over hand down to the yeah. dead body <laughs> but but even in recent disney movies like tangled mother gothel falls you don't see her and in the first Disney movie ever Snow White the queen falls and gets crushed but we don't see it at all so that's a typical Disney and then this kind of breaks the mold and with the blood for sure don't quote me on this and we'll get to this movie eventually and it's my one of my all-time favorites but Black Cauldron I think was the first Disney movie to show animated blood and it was a huge like deal it was very scandalous at the time so and I think there's a couple uh facts and trivia that will kind of uh expand on some of the things Katie brought up so great segue into our next section which is trivia time So a couple general trivia besides production trivia, which we already kind of talked about in the origin section. This was not added to the numbered list of official Disney animated classics until the year 2008. So kind of what we were discussing with The Lion King, even Dinosaur had some controversy over whether it's a true animated classic because it does have the live action elements. And again, I'm not sure who makes those decisions or how they made, but eventually they decided it should be added to the canon. And then finally, in addition to that petition that Katie mentioned earlier, in doing some research for this episode, I was looking to make sure there weren't any sequels for the dinosaur movie and I found this fandom wikia website where I guess fans can like create content and it's basically (laughs) this page that makes it seem like there is a dinosaur sequel and I had to do some like verification to make sure I'm not I wasn't going crazy and it's so weird it's called dinosaur dinosaur 2 collision course and it says it is a Disney live action animated adventure film that released in November of 2021. Um, Live action animated? Oh, I guess maybe like the real background. Yeah, and just to be clear, this is not, Disney has not released any plans. (laughs) I think this stems from the fact that some people are still very upset, which I want to know who is so upset about this. Yeah. (laughs) That there was never a sequel made, and but it's really funny because they have a whole like fan cast that they want to be in the movie like whose voices they want to be in the movie has uh jeff goldblum Kiefer sutherland some of the original actors coming back joaquin phoenix oscar isaac emma stone paul rudd amy adams and matthew broderick if you can get that cast together for dinosaur 2 please make yeah. the movie i want to see it 
I, I would see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> also, they want a good dinosaur sequel and a bolt sequel i don't know they're kind of picking like not great (laughs) not the best disney movies here to make sequels up i mean it was a big deal when disney made frozen 2 because aside from pixar which is you know a bit separate disney doesn't make a ton of sequels that come out in theaters the rescuers down under is there any other one not that i can think of off the top of my head yeah yeah, so anyway, not a huge not a huge uh, amount of sequels that Disney does. And I remember even Frozen 2 people weren't shocked because Frozen did so well, but still. We'll talk about Frozen 2 later because I have thoughts on that. So moving on to some first trivia, firsts trivia. So it was Disney's first non-Pixar computer animated feature film, as we kind of talked about earlier. And then some by-the-numbers facts, and all of this comes from IMDb. It was the second Disney animated feature film to have dinosaurs in it after Fantasia. So in like one of the shorts, dinosaurs were featured. It was the second Disney animated feature film to not be based off already existing work after The Lion King 1980. Wow, I said 1984, like George Orwell, The Lion King in 1994, but that is a little bit controversial because I have always heard that The Lion King was based off of Hamlet, the Shakespeare play, so yeah, there's that to consider. And we kind of have had discussions in past recordings of this about like the difference between based off of and inspired by, and if that's kind of like the minutiae as why Lion King isn't really considered being based off Hamlet. It's more inspired by Hamlet. So yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I could more confidently say that Dinosaur is maybe the first original story. Yeah. That they turn into a feature film. Yeah, I think that maybe changing it to Lions was enough, but obviously the story (laughs) itself is very similar to the story of Hamlet. True. Um, And it was the eighth movie to not be a musical, and I guess they classify a musical as when characters break into songs three or more times at random moments. And so a distinction of like a song that would consider a musical versus an in-universe song, one Rebecca's mentioned before, is 101 Dalmatians. So like Corel DeVille is a song in 101 Dalmatians, but 101 Dalmatians is not considered a musical because that is like an in-universe song. Like he is a songwriter, and so he's just doing his job. And then another comparison I came up with is in High School Musical, Bop to the Top is an in-universe song because they're practicing for the the musical, but the status quo is a musical song in High School Musical. So, How many times did you just say musical? Probably like 50 times. <laughs> don't, don't take shots every time Katie says musical. Yeah, don't do that. And it was the third Disney animated feature film to be rated PG after The Black Cauldron and Nightmare Before Christmas. So again, kind of going back to what I was saying about it being more graphic and what Becca was saying is she thinks she remembers hearing that Black Cauldron was the... <laughs> she, she isn't like deducing on her own. Um, I know they show blood, I remember. Yeah, that Black Cauldron was the first movie to show blood. And the Nightmare Before Christmas, I just assumed because it's like kind of creepy looking and has like creepy vibes, like Oogie Boogie is like honestly pretty scary yeah and that's why that got a pg rating and then i wonder like maybe we'll maybe we'll mention the ratings i don't know if we have been um, oh yeah no we maybe haven't. we should mention the ratings um because just because like i don't pay attention like it doesn't ma- 
fat to me <laughs> if it's G or PG, honestly. So. Or R, or, or, or even <laughs> or R, R, right? at this point, really. Um, Do you remember when movie ratings used to be such a big deal? Like, oh man, when you were a kid. Yeah. But now it's, I mean, it's kind of nice to know because you, then you know what movie you're like signing mm. up for. But like in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter that much <laughs> at this point. We had to look up the reason why, because in the ratings, they do have to say yeah. why a movie is rated, you know, whatever rating they give it. And for Nightmare Before Christmas, they said because of scary sequences or scary images. So it yeah. wasn't, like, necessarily violence or sex or anything yeah. graphic of that nature. But it's interesting because, so, yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas is under the umbrella of, like, Disney distribution, but it wasn't a Disney animated feature film. Yeah. So then even dinosaurs like the second one so um as we get closer yeah like katie said we don't pay attention to that as much anymore but i i think we both are the in agreement on this we believe that ratings nowadays are a lot more skewed towards pg than they were in the past yeah that's my guess yeah agreed i just i mean not that i know for sure but i feel like the bar for g is like honestly pretty pretty high Mm-hmm. You know, like, for something yeah. to yeah. qualify as a G rating, mm-hmm. it has to be pretty careful about things. Um, but my last fact... Oh, sorry, I had two more. Sorry. Um, it was the fourth Walt Disney Animation Studios movie to not feature any humans. So, I guess after Lion King, Jungle Book... No, Jungle Book features a human, sorry. Bambi... Fantasia? No, there's... Hu- no, no, there's not... Hu- humans? There's, like... Mickey Mouse and fairies. I don't think it says. They're centaurs. Yeah. Are there humans in the final sequence, like after oh, Chernabog, no or idea. are those just lights? I like Fantasia, so I kind of... And I've seen it semi-recently, like in the past year or two. Yeah. What is the last one, though? I don't know. Anyways, Finding Nemo also falls into that. Well, I guess it's not Walt Disney Animation Studios. No, Finding Nemo Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. It doesn't qualify. For I know. I can reasons. think of a lot. I was going to say I can think of a lot of Pixar movies, but I can't really think of a lot. It's just cars. No, Zootopia. Oh, Zootopia is Disney, and it came out after this. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. Anyway, moving, moving on, off the moving rails. On, the last on. one I have is that... Um, Based off of like landmarks and other dinosaurs in the film, the Carnotaur is depicted as being at least 15 feet tall. So a pretty tall dino. Pretty scary. Yeah. And moving on to our next section, my personal favorite of our podcast is why dinosaurs canceled. So a couple things I have here. The first is that I'm going to, I don't know if this will be a recurring segment on this <laughs> segment, but it, but I think I've done this once already. So it's basically this plot is a combination of two other movies and it's way too similar so it's basically tarzan because of the whole raised by another species trope plus land before time another great not just because it's a uh, dinosaur talking dinosaur animated movie for kids that came out between 1988 and 2000 but also because the plot of the land before time is that they're trying to make it to the great valley which is like very similar to the nesting ground and they have like a sharp the sharp tooth which is the big you know carnivore dinosaur that's like following them basically like a t-rex type thing yeah um 
And it's basically just a combination of the two of those movies, and you can't change my mind. <laughs> I was actually going to try to watch The Land Before Time before we did, and you'd think I would have had time because we've recorded this now three times, but unfortunately, even though I have the VHSs, I don't have access to those right now, and it's not on uh, Netflix or any other f- streaming platform that my parents pay for. <laughs> so... The next thing it's canceled for is because of the uncomfortable, romantic, and sexual nature of the movie. I really don't ever want to see a lemur mating ritual or a dinosaur <laughs> romance ever again in my life. Like, please, no. I, I love dinosaurs, and, like, I would love to see another dinosaur movie, but I just, without the dinosaur romance, that would be fine to leave that out. And then finally, the biggest reason it's canceled and one of my all-time biggest personal pet peeves about kids' animated movies, and I know I should let this go because it happens in so many, but I'm not going to let it go because it's so annoying, is it does this thing where the female of the animal or non-human species is given excessively feminine like but human feminine feature so I'll give you a couple examples from dinosaur and then a couple examples from other things so for example Pleo the female lemur is given basically extremely long eyelashes and mascara and that's a common thing I think Katie pointed out the first time we recorded the biggest difference between Minnie and Mickey besides their like gendered clothes are that Minnie has eyelashes and Mickey doesn't which Males also have eyelashes. The only difference is human females like sometimes wear mascara but don't always or wear like fake eyelashes. Um, And I know, quick science lesson here, I know that animals do have a thing called sexual dimorphism and humans have it too, which is males and females of a species have different characteristics. So like the best example of this is birds. So male birds are the more colorful more visible of the species and then the female of the birds are you know colored much more to blend in with their environment peacocks are like a very stark example of this with their like tail feathers and everything but this is not that this is giving animals like human female gendered characteristics which just feels weird so in this movie Nira also is colored a bit more like pink or purple than Aladar is and like she has very feminine looking front feet hands when they touch you can notice it her jaw and facial features are like very much narrower and like slimmer but Pleo also is like a bad example of this and I just hate it but I don't know about Katie because we've talked about this a couple times, but my least favorite example and one of the most egregious examples of this is what they did with the character Angel in the Lilo and Stitch either sequel or uh, movie sequel or show or something like that, which she was basically a female version of Stitch. But to indicate that she's female to the audience, they like beat it over your head. Whereas Stitch is blue, Angel is pink. She's given long antenna to stand in for, like, long hair. She's given, like, curves on her body, as well as a white triangle V shape on her chest to indicate cleavage. I don't... It's very... Also, eyelashes, of course, the classic example of this. So, it just, like, really makes me very uncomfortable, and it's like, why is that necessary? Yeah, while you were talking, I was looking up pictures of Zootopia characters, because I was really wondering if they did it, and I don't, like... Oh, I don't 
it's different, obviously, because this is an evolved animal society. Mm. So, like, makeup exists in this world. Mm. We see the, like, Shakira character. Like, I'm pretty sure she's wearing eyeshadow. Mm. Judy, I don't think, has significantly long eyelashes. Judy's a good example of how they did it in a better way, I think. Yeah, and but I do think some other characters do have longer eyelashes. But again, like... I'm supposed to believe that like makeup exists in this world. They could just be wearing mascara. You know, I do think it's more and the clothes obviously are a big indication. So maybe they don't have to do as much on the facial structure of the animals to like indicate gender because they feel the need to do that. But yeah, I I was just curious about that because I we had just mentioned Zootopia and I'd never thought of it before. So yeah. So moving on to park connections. Again, like Rebecca and I have mentioned throughout this, it is kind of difficult to search information about this movie and ride because it's just dinosaur. So to the best of my knowledge, Disney World and Animal Kingdom and Disney World is the only place where there's dinosaur-inspired area, ride, restaurant, anything like that. And there's no place that you can meet characters from the movie. I'm like pretty confident yeah about that just one thing to add in there a lot of the times if it's going to be at multiple resorts it'll be in the same kind of parks you know most of them have like a disneyland or magic kingdom equivalent and none of the other ones have an animal kingdom equivalent i don't remember when i was somewhere else ever seeing anything dinosaur related so don't completely quote us on that but we're fairly confident Yeah, I also, this might just be me being ignorant, but, like, are other countries of the world, are dinosaurs a thing in pop culture? Because I feel like, Rebecca has said, she went through a dinosaur phase. I feel like that's pretty common for, like, American children, and I wonder if that's a thing in other countries. I don't know. Um, I have no clue. Neither do I. Um, So, the ride, Countdown to Extinction, which is now called Dinosaur, was opened in Animal Kingdom on April 22nd, 1998. So it is an opening day attraction at Animal Kingdom. And it's the only opening day attraction in Animal Kingdom that's a dark ride. So kind of that classic like ride through a story and it's dark kind of ride at Disney. And even though it is the only dinosaur inspired ride it actually has the same track and the same like layout and build as the indiana jones adventure um that was in disneyland so they just took the blueprint and used it but like re-themed it and revamped it to be dinosaur themed which is kind of cool um i feel like if disney reuses a blueprint they generally like keep the ride the same like we've talked about before there are just identical basically carbon copies of rides at different parks um but this one they used it and they were resourceful about it so the ride vehicle in the ride is called a time rover because you go back in time so just a quick little synopsis of the story of the ride so you're you're at the dino institute And there's a scientist there that wants to go back in time and bring back an iguanodon to study its properties. He thinks that it's the link between humans and dinosaurs or something like that. But the like director at the Institute is like, we can't send civilians back in time. That's dangerous. But he breaks the code and we're in. So we get to... Hop on a time rover, go back in time, but 
we're a little bit too close to the asteroid hitting. So it gets a little bit rocky. So you go back in time and the point of the ride is trying to bring back an iguanodon to the Dino Institute. It's really fun. I think it has one of the best intro videos of all rides. And that's like really hard for me to say because I do love Tower of Terror so much. But this intro is just so iconic. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it. I I don't think I actually could, but I feel like I could recite it word for word because I love it so much. Yeah, definitely some parts Dr. of it. Dr. Seeker is like the kind of misadventurous one that wants to send you back like right before the asteroid impact because he's tagged a specific guanodon that he wants Yeah, to study like a live dinosaur. But the director, who I can't remember, but she's also great. I yeah. feel like those two people like just were great actors. And yeah. It's really funny. She wanted you to go back in time to a safer time, like, and mm-hmm. I can't remember, maybe to the Jurassic, the yeah. end of the Cretaceous was the was the asteroid. So anyways, like, coordinates are locked, <laughs> and, like, he tries to change it anyway. It's like, see, password protected. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a great, and kind of getting into the merch, I feel like a lot of the merch at the Dinosaur Ride is not Dinosaur Movie merch. It's Dinosaur Ride merch. There are shirts that you can get that say, like, not our dino or, like, we're in kind of the ride more than the movie. And speaking of based on the movie, it's not, it has nothing to do really with the plot. An iguanodon is what Aladar is. So, like, kind of in the carnosaurus is the big scare throughout the ride and there's raptors and there's a whatever the tall dinosaur is but like it's not really based on the ride right for like for how much emphasis we put on the origin of the movie how much emphasis they put on in like the ride tying into the movie the movie tying into the ride the the actual story of the ride is not about the story of the movie. It's weird. It kind of can work parallel to the movie, but it's not like we're getting the Iguanodon Aladar and like his buddies, you know. Right. And it's it's not like the Snow White ride. It's not like the Pinocchio ride. It's not like the Peter Pan ride where like you ride through the movie. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, so it is a herky-jerky thrill ride. So while I was looking up information about this ride, half of the stuff that was popping up was talking about how this is the scariest ride at Disney World, which I don't know if I really agree with. I think that, like, Mission mission Space might be. I guess it's not really scary. It's more intense. But I do close my eyes when, like, the dinosaur comes at you from the side so yeah, I guess I think it's, it's pretty scary. But I do like, one of the reasons I really like this ride so much is the track. I really like the herky-jerkiness of it. I think it's really fun. But originally, this ride was actually sponsored by McDonald's, and you could order a Big Mac next door. So kind of funny. It's kind of like how Seaman sponsors Spaceship Earth, and Advent Health, I think, is sponsoring like Festival of the Holidays right now. And I think um, Figment, is Figment sponsored by somebody? Or is there a ride over in Epcot that's another one? I don't know. It's really funny. I think a lot of them are sponsored, but, like, it's not always super obvious. But I think in the past it was. Oh, Test Track is sponsored by Chevrolet. (sighs) Oh, yeah. That's a big one. That's when they did their redo. Yeah. 
The other thing is, specifically, I'm thinking about Small World and some of the other ones mm. that, like, Walt, when Walt Disney was still around, they made for the World's Fair and then, like, yeah. transferred back. Those were all sponsored. I think Coca-Cola was, like, a, maybe the sponsor of Small World or one of the other ones that they did for that. And I think opening day in Disneyland, all of them were sponsored. It seems weird, but also, like, there's... It definitely still goes on. I don't know if Dinosaur has an official sponsor at the moment, but I thought that was really funny. Yeah. When it opened, it did kind of have some different special effects and just some, like, other... Some other movements or other things that go were going on in the ride that they didn't keep up that I think probably made it scarier, more intense, maybe. I would get the impression. So they just never... I guess they abandoned them. And then there was another attraction at Animal Kingdom that kind of incorporated dinosaur. It was called the Discovery River Boats. And so this also was an opening day attraction. And as guests were like floating down the river, at one point you do pass an animatronic Aladar like bathing in the water. I don't know specifically whether they acknowledged that it was Aladar or whether it was just an iguanodon. But yeah, so then, like I mentioned earlier, I don't know if I mentioned this, the Countdown to Extinction was renamed Dinosaur. And there's the dinosaur statue that we talked about earlier with like the placement of the ride. There is a Aladar like statue, but the Discovery Riverboats has have since been closed. So we don't see him there anymore. But the original dinosaur statue out in front was not Aladar so Mm. and so when they did rename it they did change a little bit of the theming lighting the overall story to fit the movie better which again is interesting because the whole point of the ride was to tie into the movie to begin with so they made it more connected to the movie which I don't know what they did because it's still not very connected to the movie and I guess they made it less scary which I like it's pretty intense I do think that a lot of the reason you feel scared in it is the combination of the flashing lights and the meteors falling and just kind of like how dark it is in general. Do you think that creates this scary atmosphere that like allows these animatronic, not very realistic looking dinosaurs to appear scary? I think I think the biggest thing that they changed to fit the movie was the Carnotaurs, Carnotauruses. Mm. I think we're going to mess that up every time we Yeah, say probably. It. I guess it was in it, but it wasn't the main threat. The main threat was the asteroid. And mm. so, like, at the end, when the Carnotaur comes over and you go down and then, like, you make it back safely, originally it was an asteroid impact that was, like, going to oh, hit yeah, you. Yeah. So I guess their logic is the theming is the Iguanodon and the Carnotaur. But as we've said, that's not really a huge plot similarity. You know yeah. what I mean? That just because you have the same kinds of dinosaurs doesn't mean it's the same plot as the movie. Yeah. But this ride has some of the largest animatronics ever created when, like, it came out in 1998. The rubber skins that you put over, like, the actual, like, robot and animatronic parts could weigh up to 500 pounds. And it's rumored that this ride costs between 40 to $60 million. But it's never been confirmed. I don't think Disney ever releases how much rides cost, mm. not, like, yeah. movies. But that is, like, very expensive. <laughs> yeah, I would be super interested to, like, I would just love to know in general how expensive these rides are yeah, to make. to, like, have I, a benchmark. Right, we obviously have no reference, but if it is the higher end 60 million, that's a little less than half of the movie budget. Yeah, and you have to also take into account that they use the same track 
and like blueprint mm, as a ride yeah. that was already created. So it's not like they had to, they try, they still had to pay like engineers, but like I'm sure it costs more to come up with a completely new to design track and system. Yeah. So that's kind of crazy. And then just more broadly, Dino Land USA is a part of Animal Kingdom and it is a park it's a world sorry it is a world that gets a lot of heat because it seems very like un disney it's a ve- it's a carnival basically besides dinosaur the rest of it are like carnival games carnival rides just in general and it's definitely miley's favorite part of animal kingdom um <laughs> i i really bothers me carnival games just in general how i have to pay more to play them when I'm already like paying so much to be in Disney. I really hate that. But I did read this like really interesting theory online. So Dino Land USA is the whole the whole world in universe. So there's the Dino Institute where I said earlier is where like the ride dinosaur takes place. And so it became this kind of big attraction museum that like people wanted to come and visit. And so people in the surrounding areas created this tourist trap that they could capitalize on people coming to Dino Land USA. And so they created this like cheap carnival tourist trap basically. And I like I don't know whether that's Disney Disney's idea behind it but it's very interesting I feel like it I feel like I've heard that before I think that's like the Disney the official Disney theming of it which is like if you think about it it's so meta because that's what happened to Disneyland I I was just before you started this segment that story I was gonna say like it's so weird because like the Dino Institute and the dinosaur ride does not fit into Dino Land but like Oh my god, that's I love it. Isn't I that it isn't so that kind of wild? And there are always rumors surrounding Dino Land leaving. Basically, there's always talks of like it being replaced with. I think the what I've heard the most is like a Lion King um, mm. world, basically, because that's that's what Disney, Disney could make more money off of a Lion King world than they can Dino Land, in my opinion. And there may be some credence to these rumors because one of the main attractions, not Dinosaur, but other than that in Dino Land USA is a ride called Primeval World. And that was announced to be permanently closed during the shutdown. So... Yeah, people are kind of taking that it might be out of context I don't know when the insider information but people are kind of using that to be like maybe we're finally seeing the close of Dino Land USA and it'd be interesting to see like if slash when that does happen what would happen to Dinosaur the Ride because it is mm. semi-popular and kind of has like a cult following I would almost say like Not Our Dino is such an iconic line I think in Disney merch made by like Etsy and like small businesses I think it does kind of have that cult following and is a very popular ride in animal kingdom i do think so it'd be interesting to see what happens to that if they ever do redo dino land because i don't honestly think it would stay that's i was gonna bring up the same point how how could or how would dinosaurs stay if there was no dino land oh i feel like you either way i feel like it's a bad decision i don't know that's really interesting because because the primeval world it's like what else in dino land is there besides that triceratops spin which is like a dumbo-esque ride yeah yeah there's some like small kitty rides those are also important disney can't just have thrill 
dinosaur dark rides like they need other stuff yeah they need other rides for kids but also they need other rides to bring down the wait times for other rides slash have rides that have shorter those shorter wait times yeah I have a quick story while we're talking about this just because you mentioned Dinoland it's super interesting that Dinoland has been rumored to be closed because in the YouTube video that I watched about the dinosaur ride they talk about the whole timeline of dinosaur including animal kingdom itself and i don't i can't recall if they talk about this specifically in the imagineering story but i've definitely heard this story a couple times so when they were theming animal kingdom when they were workshopping animal kingdom before it opened in 1998 they had planned asia and africa and they had planned two other kingdoms dino land and beastly kingdom Mm. and because the cost of having the zoo and like the animals which obviously was really important and maintenance and upkeep of those was so much more than they budgeted in order to cut costs and stay on budget Michael Eisner said okay we can only do Beastly Kingdom or Dinoland and Mm. apparently it was kind of like a big deal that you were going to lose your job if you were on the kingdom yeah if you were on the kingdom that didn't get made so like you know people were pitching and like Michael Eisner made the final decision to go with Dinoland over Beastly Kingdom because partially the success uh, and popularity of dinosaurs at th- in the 90s, Jurassic Park, 19- 1993, yeah. hugely successful film. And then also, like, I don't know if this influenced it or kind of came up afterwards, but, like, the dinosaur movie. Universal also kind of played a part in this, too, because they had opened Jurassic Park, the ride, and he saw how successful that was. So he thought dinosaurs could be more marketable. Beastly Kingdom was going to be kind of dragons, unicorns, like fantastical mm-hmm. creatures. And obviously, and the plan was to make one, make sure Animal Kingdom was sustainable revenue-wise, and then make the other. But obviously we know Beastly Kingdom never even got made. Yeah. I think before Pandora was announced, people, and there were rumors of expansion, that's what people thought it was going to be originally. Yeah, I've definitely heard of that before. Yeah, so we'll see if that ever gets made. But the other, the even funnier part to me, and you'll appreciate this, Katie. So the people that were working on Beastly Kingdom that lost their jobs went to Universal and Mm. did the, what is it, Lost? I can't even remember. the Lost Continent. Yeah, which, is that still there or did that get taken over by Harry Potter? No, it's it's still there, but it's right outside the Wizarding World in Islands of Adventure. And... It's, it's like a really odd place like it's pretty small and there used to be a show like Sinbad something oh yeah in this huge theater but they the show has been discontinued so right now it's actually like a relaxation area so it's like a place where you can go and take your mask off in this huge auditorium and you can see the stage and like there's still stuff on it when I was waiting in line for Hagrid's motorbike adventure I actually went through the stadium one time that's where like the line went but it's kind of like a gives me like grease vibes they sell like the evil eye like the blue or maybe it's not the evil eye like the blue eye that's very prominent in Greece <laughs> and they have mythos is the restaurant in the lost mm. continent I don't know it's just like it's very odd but the dragon roller coaster that's now Harry Potter yeah was part of that so I just thought it was I, these poor people like lost their yeah. jobs at Disney went to Universal made a land that we don't even remember the name of that like partially has been cannibalized by Harry Potter so that's yeah. like the worst luck I feel bad for them I thought that was funny yeah the last con 
Universal, one of my many critiques of Universal is that it's not very, I don't think it was planned very well. Whereas I think Disney had a very like clear vision and where they were going. I think Universal was like, we need to use as much of our, what we own as possible and mm. like make it as pop, capitalize off the popularity of these things and not make them very coherent, if that makes sense. So that's all I have about the parks. I know that was a pretty long section, but it is very interesting, the dinosaur ride and kind of the connection to the movie. So we will move on to our ratings of the movie now. So we'll start with the plot and story of the movie. All right, I'll go first. I was really struggling to come up with what to talk about. I don't know. How would you even summarize the plot? So the fact that I do think another thing kind of connecting to what you said earlier about the plot of Tarzan, the fact that Alador, is that Aladon? Aladar. Aladar. Um, the fact that he was found by the lemurs, I feel like is such a small plot point in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's how the movie opens. But then like almost immediately, like 10 minutes into the movie, the asteroids start to come down or comets yeah. or whatever it is. And their island is destroyed. And then they like run into this herd. And then the herd is going to their nesting grounds. Nesting grounds and then that's the movie. Yeah. The trek to the nesting grounds. Honestly, plot-wise, kind of boring, generic, not super interesting. As I mentioned in the cancel section, like, you know, lots of similarities to Tarzan and Land Before Time. It's really interesting. Like, a lot of stuff I've read, people apparently were, like, so excited for this movie because the trailer and the marketing was just the opening sequence. And people were kind of blown away by it. They were like, oh my god, we've never seen anything like this. The animation was really good at the time. Like, it's super epic, you know, huge kind of, like, sweeping landscapes, valleys. They were like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then it's kind of like a talking dinosaur film. Yeah. Ugh, it doesn't fit. And so people were, like, really jarred by the difference between those kind of things. Which I totally understand. But thinking like more on the nostalgia side of plot and story and like in general like I feel like I found this movie absolutely hilarious as a kid I, as I mentioned with the jerkosaurus line like some of the lines in this movie like oh my god it was like absolutely I thought I thought the humor on this was great and I wasn't sure where else to include humor besides plot and story so I put it here yeah I can't stand the romance though so like that's definitely lots of points off for me I did, like, a couple of other things. That would be a con. Some pros for me, like, Bruton's sacrifice. I thought that was pretty good. And I really like the whole, and I'll get into this with characters and when we talk about Crone and Aladar. But, like, I really like Crone as a villain. And I really like, I don't know, maybe this is seeing this through a 2020 lens. And, like, Katie, you can, like, you know, add anything if you have anything. But I, like kind of saw it on as like a commentary on like toxic masculinity almost I and again maybe I'm spoiling my character thing but like I really like Aladar as a character and like I really appreciate the like positive traits they give him and how they paint that as the good character I really liked that so 
Yeah, I could definitely see how it's taken, how you could like label it as a commentary on toxic max masculinity. Mask, wow, words. <laughs> um, I'm not even going to try again. But I think you could also see it as kind of very much this is the way things have always been done mm. versus a new like fresh set of eyes from somebody who mm. didn't grow up the same way that everybody else did, who has a new perspective. Mm. And I think that that is also like a very interesting like, because yeah, he has new ideas and a new perspective yeah. because of the fact that he was raised by a different, not only a different mm. species, but like a different, I don't know, I don't know hierarchical animal stuff anymore. That was ninth grade biology, but like oh. a different group of animals. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know what you're saying, like reptiles versus ma- mammals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't order. What is that called? Different order. Different order. I was gonna say I feel like order is one of those words, but again, I don't remember like class. King Philip came over for green soup, kingdom, kingdom. phylum, class, order, family, species. genus, species. Something like that. Anyway, I like that too. Like traditionalism versus uh, I don't like not modern modernism traditionalism versus uh, what what would the opposite of that be i can't think i don't know new ideas yeah are you done mm-hmm. okay wait oh we're giving her oh am i end. done sorry i mean oh, I yeah, yeah you have a note about aldar and yara but you kind of already talked about their romance yeah yeah i did so my first note is, did we witness a, ma- a mating ritual at the very beginning of this movie? Because, like, I was like, where is this going with the lemurs and how, like, the boys paraded on Aladon's Aladar's oh, back? Oh, I just thought that was, like, I was... I yeah, as, as, uncom- as uncomfy as the dinosaur romance makes me, the, like, lemur mating ritual at the <laughs> beginning is also, like... A lot. Why? Who yeah. led that? It was just like very interesting. Just wait until we get to talk about the characters. Yeah. Another thing that really bothered me. So you know how I mentioned earlier, like I wasn't sure where this movie was going because it started out as in like a voiceover. So it's like, what is going on? But then the first words that we hear are Cleo and Yan or Yars. Yar. Yars. Yar. <laughs> Don't know any of these characters' names. Um, Yar speaking. And it really bothered me because at first I was, where are we going? But then when Aladar was hatched, I really wish that the first words would have been post-hatch because then you could kind of play it in like we're hearing it from his perspective. Like then we're hearing like through him because before when he was on the egg, we could hear like them making noises, but they were grunts and whatever animal sounds not words but it was just right before he was hatched so that really bothered me because then it just made no sense the jump from words or the jump from like animal noises to words and that just really bothered me I know that's like kind of nitpicky but it just really bothered me because they could have waited literally 10 seconds and then it could have worked but anyways in general I do think oh sorry go ahead I thought I had this note somewhere but now I'm not finding it maybe I wrote it in my notebook but didn't write it that's another unanswerable question I have about this movie. Why do some of the dinosaurs talk, but not all of them? That's true. Earl? The raptors? Yeah, the raptors, the carnotaurs, and Earl. Why do they... Uh, are they not intelligent? Like, that was just so weird to me. Especially because Earl is specifically treated as, like, a pet, almost. Yeah. What? 
It's like, but but this goes back to the age-old question: If Pluto is a dog and Goofy is a dog, why Why can one talk? Yeah. Anyway, never be able to answer that. But like, I really like that logic. I like that logic a lot. Yeah. So that kind of bothered me. Overall, I do think when I kind of summarize the plot, it does sound very boring. But I don't think I was ever bored throughout the movie. Looking back, it's like, oh, it's basically a track to the nesting grounds. But there was, I feel like they always had the tension. And I do think specifically mm-hmm. it came from the raptors and then the carnotaurs like following them. Because even yeah. if they were just kind of like, oh, they found the water and then they were napping in the lake. It's like they're right behind them. So I think that was a good way to keep the tension heightened. Yeah. I mean, it was high stakes. High yeah, stakes. it was. Again, it was very graphic and, like, serious. Um, And while I do like the overall themes that we are kind of talking about, like, new ideas and teamwork, I do think it was a little obvious. Even for kids' Mm. movies, it was, like, very much shoved down our throats. Because I really enjoyed the discussion that we had on our Onward episode, kind of, like, digging into the layers and themes and kind of what the message of the movie was I do and I mean granted that might be because maybe we're gonna find out that movies in the 90s 80s and early 2000s didn't have the layers that they do now and while I do think that that's a fair thing to say I also think that this was very much shoved down our throats the teamwork about like finding the water about coming back and finding the different way to the nesting grounds about even that moment where Bahira is that her name? Bahiri? <laughs> the tall dinosaur? <laughs> Bailey. <laughs> yeah, Bailey. Um, <laughs> and how they like break down that rock wall inside the cave. It's just very shoved down our throats. Like, did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? <laughs> it's it's one note is what it yes. is. Yeah, and like, very much you know, so. in it one of the, you know, as much as like onwards for sure not my favorite movie, like I liked the secondary theming that yeah. it had. We talked about the, you know, modern convenience versus traditional. Whereas, yeah, this is like teamwork, working together, listening to people, like, you know, what else? Yeah. Um, I'm super excited, though, to get into more kids' movies. And, like, I just, like, am interested in analyzing this continually. How preachy are kids' movies? Yeah. How easy is it to spot the lessons? Does that take away from it? Do we feel like it's being shoved down our throats? Like, are there more complex ideas? Is it more simple? You know, can, do we get more than one message? Because I think kids' movies, like, are all about that, right? Yeah. That's the point of them a lot of the time, like, to teach yeah. kids messages about the world. So I think that's going to be really fun to talk about. And I liked your analysis of that. Thank you. Was your rating? Wait, okay. Oh, God, I forgot. Is it, we're doing out of 10, right? I forgot. Are we doing out of 10 or out of 5? I didn't even, I don't even have the spreadsheet up. Ah, give me a sec. Okay, rating master list. I did put dinosaur on there, so that's great. Okay. Oh, God. Do you want to know what? Oh, no, I it. don't want to know past ones. Oh, wait, you know, so maybe it's fair if oh, I know. I do. Either way, it's fine. Well, I won't really look. Do I have to rate first? I don't know. I mean, I I think I know what I'm going to say, so I can go first. Yeah, go. Okay, I think I'm going to give this... I'm deciding between a three or a four. Okay. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go... I think I'm going to go three. I really do. 
uh, no, I'm going to go four. I'm going to go four. <laughs> Which one? Dang it. I think I, I'm going to go four. Like I said, I wasn't bored, and I think that's the reason I went with mm. four instead of three. But I do really dislike, I don't know. I just feel like there wasn't a whole lot of shine. Like, there yeah. was no shining moment, no shining character, no shining anything from this yeah. movie. Yeah. But I wasn't bored, so. Mm. Gotcha. I'm sometimes, like, so instinctive about these things. A number just pops into my head, and I, like, haven't even really thought about it. Four was the number that popped into my head. So when you said three or four, I was like, okay. I think because I feel the same way that you do, I have my gripes with it, um, of course. But also nostalgia, like, I think gives it a boost over maybe a three or maybe even a two. I don't know. I like that you can. I I don't think it was intended because I don't think anyone knew what the term toxic masculinity was in the year 2000. But I like that you can read it as that. Yeah. But it's also annoying that it's teamwork, 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 new ideas, new ideas, new ideas. Yeah. So. So next is the music and score. And we, I know we didn't do this in the movie Onward because it wasn't a musical, but I do think Pixar, again, is just a little bit different. Disney has, Mm. there's something about Disney. And like, granted, the soundtracks and score of Pixar movies are good, but I don't know. I just feel like there's something about Disney animated movies. So I do think the score was pretty good. I'm not a huge score person, but I still like picked up on it. I think it was very dramatic. And I do think that like, well, I think there was one time that the score, it didn't match up with the, like, how dramatic the moment was. So it kind of, it didn't match up super well. I do think that it did a good job of heightening the drama, heightening the emotions that were happening in the scene, which is obviously, like, the point of a score, you know? Yeah. So. It was very, like, adventure I got very much mm-hmm. adventure vibes from it. We're going on an adventure. Like, onward. Yeah, basically. But the soundtracks are very different. Have I done my, like, score rant? I can't remember if I did that when we talked about Onward or not. I don't know. I think I had a note to talk about it, but since we didn't do music, I don't think I did. I am a huge score person. I love movie scores so much. I've actually watched a documentary about movie scores and composers and stuff. I think it's so interesting. One of my favorite things to tell people that, like, I don't think people dismiss movie scores because I think a lot of people understand the importance. But, like, what I always tell people when I'm illustrating the importance of a movie score is, have you ever watched a different piece of music put over Mm. in place of a movie score? And how much it changes the atmosphere and mood of a scene is like hilarious one of one of my we can cut this out if you want one of my favorite things i may leave it in is so you know in uh rise of skywalker when uh ben you know gets there to uh exegol and like you know has a lightsaber and he's fighting and stuff have you ever seen i need a hero like played over that oh my god it matches up so well but it's so funny because it changes but anyway just to like say that I think movie scores are so important and like I'm also obsessed with them I listen to them as background study music as like fun music Star Wars soundtracks are some of my favorite anyway as a person with musical score taste I really really love this music especially the opening sequence reminded me a bit of Soren. 
So, mm-hmm. like, be interested to see how similar they are. I think overall it's a really great soundtrack. I would for sure listen to it again. It's super epic sounding, which I think is the right kind of atmosphere for this movie. One of my uh, fun fact trivia things about the soundtrack is if it feels similar to, like, maybe Lion King, there's a reason for that. The same vocalist does some of some work, especially in the opening sequence, as the soundtrack for The Lion King. So there's a bit of overlap there. So, while I do like the score, like, I'm not as big of a score fan as maybe Rebecca is, and music does mean more to me, like, songs. Like, musical. Yeah, so I do think I'm going to knock it down just a little bit, because I don't want it to be compared to, like, the Princess and the Frog songs, or even some, like, that's one of the best, in my opinion. But even some of, like, maybe the worst songs, musicals, you know what I mean? So I think I'm going to give it a five because like while I did really like the score I would I do like songs more than I like scores in general so that might be like a little nitpicky but that's just what I'm gonna go with that's fair I really liked it I actually when I thought we were still gonna do the score for Onward I listened to it quite a bit it was my study music for like almost a month maybe even a little bit longer so I I (laughs) I uh, I don't use Spotify, so, like, I don't get the Spotify wrapped, whatever. Oh. But I I use YouTube music, and, like, I was able to find a similar thing, and, like, it ended up on some of my most listened to music because I listened to it so much. But I had, didn't do that for this, but I definitely will be putting this um, soundtrack, this score, in my rotation, so I'm going to give it a 7. And I thought, you know, as someone that appreciates film scores, like, there's, you know, I like it and I think there's a difference between scores that I like and that fit the movie and scores that I will listen to. And this is yeah. one I would for sure listen to. That's why I get, I'm like, this may seem a little high, but that's, that's my reasoning behind that. I like that. All right. Characters are next. I'm not going to talk about all of them. There's like so many characters. Yeah, they really are. We already talked about the names, right? The weird yeah, I mean, we talked about that they are just kind of weird. <laughs> okay, so first of all, this is my hot take, and I won't be accepting any criticisms or backtalk, but Baleen and Ema should for sure be the main characters. <laughs> they're the they're my favorite. I really only care about them, but I, to be honest, I want the Golden Girls. That's what my <laughs> ideal dinosaur sequel would be. Baleen and Ema and meet two other old female dinosaurs and get together and like have live together. Dinosaur Golden Girls. Yeah. yeah. I would for sure watch that. Moving on to characters I don't like so much. I don't even know how to say his name because, again, it's not how... It's written Zinny, but they mm. say, like, Zany? I thought they Z- said Zinny. Is that what it is? I they don't know. S- there's, like, some sort of accent they put on it that I don't know that I can do. The blonde male lemur. I thought that, like, all the male ones were blonde. Like, Yara when they showed not. the collect... Yeah, but he's older. I thought, like, when they showed the mating ritual... All of the males were the same color as him. No, he is different. Okay. I, I hate him. I If there is a sequel, please do not put him in the sequel. He's so cringy to me. Everything he says and the whole, like, subplot of him being supposedly the love expert, but, like, actually terrible at love. By the way, that reminded me of the trolls from <laughs> Love Experts. Um, but, like, in a cringy way, not in a good way. 
I just really dislike him. And, like, I feel like as a kid, maybe I thought it was funny, but as an adult, I'm like, oh, my God, no, get off my screen. Back to my theory about the names. I don't know what made me think of this, but, you know, like, Katie, I was kind of like, these names are, like, very odd. I wonder if they're from, like, a specific region of the world or Mm. culture or what. The only thing I could think of, and, like, I think this theory kind of falls apart, Pleo, why not... Cleo like yeah. I, I just that was so confusing there is a um so you know like uh at ecological time scales or whatever like oh, Cambrian yeah. so the I think it's I don't think it's called Pliocene though I think it's called the Pliocene is the Pliocene Pleistocene is like when mm, I looked this up yesterday and I forgot <laughs> to write it down it's like an important time for like pr- primate development human evolution um human ancestor evolution like primates so i was like oh that's where it comes from but like i don't think it's pronounced the same and none of the to my knowledge none of the other characters have names that are like relating to geological time so but that could it could be a reference to that that's the only thing i don't like nira i think she's only there to be a love interest I just don't think she has great character development. That's not on her. That's on the filmmakers. I do really like Aladar. Like I mentioned this earlier, I think he has some amazing hero traits. And I think he has a lot of traits that anyone can look up to that I think are inspiring or like things that kids could uh, could aspire to be. I think he's really funny. I like the jokes about him liking kids. I think that's really cute. He cares for the elderly. He's smart. He's a team player. Like, he really cares about people. I think he's, like, a really good hero character. And then I mentioned this as well. I, like, I really like Crone as the villain because you can clearly see he believes in what he's doing and his motivation is consistent and it's not necessarily wrong, I don't think. Besides humans, all animals do have natural selection, like, because we have a conscience and because we're self-aware, we obviously, humans are like the exception, right? But I think that that was an interesting, like, character trait. And, and, and I think he's not a sympathetic villain, but an understandable villain. And I almost think it's a, a villain that's not understandable is a bad villain. Mm. So I like that. I do think, just to relate it to 2020, to date this episode, if you're listening to this far into the future, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic still. Crone for sure would be in favor of herd immunity. (laughs) I know for a fact he would not, he would want all the businesses to be open. He would say, open the economy, open all the businesses, let the weak die out. That would, that's Crone. Yeah. And then he would die as we... Yeah, he would get COVID. (laughs) Yeah, he would get COVID and die. So, just one little question I have. So, Pleo, she calls Mm Yar father. Yeah, but then we never see her mate. I'm just confused. Yeah, like is she the matriarch of the group? Even though like her mother is presumably dead, did she step into the matriarch position? I don't know. It seems like that has to be the case. But then where is her mate? Or like slash did yeah. her mate also die? Because her daughter, Suri, yeah. Hayden Panettiere's yeah. voice. Yeah, it's, I feel like that's unnecessary confusion. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you just make them a couple and then have, yeah, it's very strange. Because like, who was Yar's mate? Who's, who would presumably be 
Pleo's mother. Yeah. And then who was, who was Suri's father? Yeah. I don't know. Like, it just seemed very odd. And they, like, made a point to have her call him, like, dad multiple times. And, like, it opens with her saying, dad, what is that? You know? I don't know. I was just, like, kind of confused about, like, the family dynamic of the lemurs. But I guess it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. I liked her. She seemed like (laughs) the voice of reason in a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. A lot of the situations, I don't know. The, the Almost like the surrogate for the audience a lot of the times, I feel like. I did. I liked her character. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to, not to get too scientific, but primates have different hierarchical grouping behaviors, which I've studied somewhat, and I can't remember. But, um, yeah, I don't know about lemurs. I mostly, we mostly talked about, like, gorillas, bonobos, chimps, humans, orangutans, more of the, like, ape primates lemurs are like not that they're not more evolved because they are but they're like in a different branch of the primate family yeah but i think that part of that is dispelled with a mating ritual because it seems that one one to one ratio of mates you know what i mean so it's not like pleo's mate would just be like off with other and another group with other females you know is that just that mating season or is that mate for life? I mean, like- yeah, that's also true. But I feel like is Pleo then not of mating age because she wasn't involved in it? Like, I don't, I don't know. Anyways, um, in general, I really liked the lemurs overall. I think that they were so cute and I think that it provides a good contrast and explanation as to why Aladar is the way he is and why he's different than the herd and like why he can mm. bring in these new perspectives. And with Zini specifically, I don't think I found him quite as annoying as Rebecca did. But I think a portion of that was because he just, like, wasn't in the movie enough for him to become Mm. a huge annoyance. He was just in it so little that it wasn't, like, it didn't detract from the story or from the movie as much for me. Nira, I, I liked her. I really liked... The really the only moment that she wasn't just the love interest to Aladar and even in this mm. she kind of was when she stood up for Aladar and like fought her brother yeah. and then in like the same moment turned back to save her brother. I thought yeah. that was very interesting like a really dynamic character move almost because it made her not so one note as she had been kind of throughout the rest of the movie and it portrayed kind of like a very realistic family dynamic you know you fight with your brothers and your sisters and you disagree (laughs) with them but like you don't want them to be mauled to death in the same instance you know (laughs) very very realistic but yeah I like that I can bully you but no one else can (laughs) yeah exactly and then Aladar I don't know. Not that I thought he was a boring character, but I thought that he was just a little bit bland. All of the characteristics mm. that you brought up, I feel like could fall under the umbrella of him being kind. And I think that was like his mm. only character trait. But he was still a good character. He just wasn't super yeah. interesting to me, I guess. And then Kron and Bruton, I thought that they were really good villains. I agree with you. And I think that you really got to feel sympathy for them because, you, like you said, yeah. you did understand where they were coming from. And then especially with Bruton, like you mentioned before, his sacrifice. And all. Mm-hmm. Like even though Crone didn't really change in the end, like he was still trying to get over the cliff, he died for it. So you see the consequences yeah. of his actions. So. Yeah, stubborn. Yeah. I don't know. I, I agree with you on Aladar. Like, I can see that point of view. But I also, I don't know, maybe I'm, like, emphasizing the toxic masculinity, <laughs> like, non-toxic masculinity thing too much. But I think it's important to have kind oh, yeah, male characters. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
you know, maybe he is a little boring, but I think the contrast between him and Crone was really fascinating to me, especially on the second watch through. I noticed that more. Yeah. Ratings. What do you think? Oh, gosh, this is tough. Um, Because the characters I really like are like more side. They're obviously like the humorous. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't have a section for Baleen and um, Ema, Ema. but I did really enjoy them. I think that they were, like, you know how, so the main character sometimes isn't always the most interesting character, slash, I feel like very rarely is the main character the most interesting character, or, like, the one you like the most, and I think that they fell really well into, like, the side character roles that they're going to be, they're the ones in there for, like, the audience to like, to not, and, like, not drive the plot forward like the main character has to, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just also appreciate the, like, older female representation even if it is dinosaur it is very Um, funny uh i'm really stuck in between like a six and a seven because like i don't want to rate it too high but like i mean just because i don't like zany doesn't mean zany doesn't mean i like dislike all the characters and like i don't i don't know um i'm gonna uh i'm gonna go with seven i'm gonna stick that's the initial number i had in my head okay i'm going with five Ooh, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know if I loved any, as much as I love Baleem and Ema, I, like, don't know what, I don't think that says a lot about the characters. Like I said, there's always those characters in a movie Mm. that, like, basically are created for the audience to like. And past those two, I don't know how much I really love any of the other characters. I don't know Mm. if I could pick a favorite besides Baleem and Ema, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I think I maybe gave it... I feel like I should move it down to six, but I'm not. Well, I think you liked Aladar more than me to begin with, so I think that's a big part of where that comes from. That's what I was going to say, and I appreciate uh, a good villain. Yeah. So I like Crone. I'm not considering the Carnotaurs villains. They're like monsters. They're an obstacle, so. basically, yeah. in, like, in, story, in the storytelling dynamic of this movie. They're an obstacle, not a character. Plus the lemurs other than, I do, I also like the interaction between, I know we didn't talk about Yar, like, separately, but mm-hmm. the interaction between Yar and Bailey and Eva is, yeah. like, really funny, like, the old people. Yeah. And then Suri was pretty cute, and Pleo, like, as the voice of reason, yeah. I liked her, so. I probably could give it a six, but this movie might need a couple extra points. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay, so moving on to our second to last category, animation. So... First, just right off the bat, when this started, I was super jarred by this animation. (laughs) One of my first, I think I literally, like, words that came out of my mouth were like, what is this? Or like, this is atrocious. (laughs) Atrocious. (laughs) Well, I think I was being dramatic. I also think that the animation isn't great, and then the comparison of it being on a live-action background makes it look worse. And Mm. I just, it was super jarring, like I said, and it took some getting used to because I was super confused because at first I was like, that looks like a live action background. Is the live action background? Is it not? And then obviously it is. So I think it makes their animation look worse. And overall, kind of what I have to say about it in comparison, I think that it it reminds me of really well animated video games right now because it does really fall into that like uncanny valley where they're trying to make it hyper realistic and they don't really quite succeed, but it's not super great. It's not as close as we are now 
with kind of hyper-realism and especially I think Star Wars is really guilty of this reconstructing faces or the overlay of faces or using old footage and reanimating it like I think that looks better obviously it still has that like weird fuzzy look to it and I think humans just we know when a face is real like we subconsciously know how a face is supposed to move and how it's supposed to look and I don't know if I don't know if computer generated animation will ever get it right, honestly. Ooh, interesting. So, anyways, that was kind of a side tangent, but I, that's what the animation reminds me of. And it just, as the movie went on, I like you get used to it. So I don't know how much it really affected my viewing of the story. But at first, I was like, "This is terrible. <laughs> what am I watching?" Yeah, it's. Coming from 2020 and being used to movies yeah. that come out now, it's a big difference. I also, my first overall impression is not great. I obviously have more to say and I have a specific pros and cons. And I think there are a couple pros, um, a lot more cons. But I think that where they failed, and I think you said this earlier, is the hyper-realism, which they just weren't going to achieve. Whereas yeah. a lot of Disney movies before this, you know, Bambi, you know, tries to get to the look of real deer. 101 Dalmatian tries to get to the look of real dogs. But at the same time with hand-drawn animation, that is severely limiting. So there's no way you are going to be really look like actual animals. And at the same time, they try to give them more human-like features. But the humans aren't human you know there's a huge difference between how a disney princess looks and how a real human looks as we know from that uh (laughs) that uh app that makes you look like a disney princess right yeah the (laughs) or a cartoon character but anyway moving on to pros and cons so a couple pros in the beginning i think one of the most well animated things is the and just like uh kind of bright spots of the story in general is the journey of the egg right from the beginning until the egg gets to the lemur island specifically i really like very very close to the beginning of the movie when we see the carnotaur in the forest right outside of the nesting grounds and all the like you know dinosaur nests and stuff and it bursts through the trees i thought that was like animated pretty well and then the other thing that i thought was really really well animated was the once the egg gets to lemur island and is stuck in the tree there's a lightning flash and it illuminates baby aladar inside the egg i thought that was really really well done but honestly that's all like the bright spots i have and i do have quite a lot of cons i think i think a lot of the characters not a lot i guess it was kind of like half and half whether i thought the facial expressions were animated well i thought Cleo, Baleen, and Ema were, like, pretty good, were okay, but some of the characters, that was almost distracting how their faces moved, and I could definitely tell something was off, was Yar, like, his face was very weird to me, I don't know if the expressions were too exaggerated, and that's what it was, Aladar, Anira, and I think it was just harder to animate the dinosaurs to have expressions like when he was smiling it was like oh that's not right at all I think Baleen and Emo we don't see their faces as much and they don't have as much expression so I think that might be why and I also just like them more so maybe it's me projecting onto them a little bit honestly the worst piece of animation though was the explosions of the meteorites or asteroids coming down it looked 
comically bad. Yeah. I was watching it. I didn't really notice it the first time because, like I said, nostalgia. But the second time, I was like, what is this? Yeah, it was not great. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think we'll ever get through an episode without mentioning Harry Potter or the Goonies. So <laughs> here's your Goonies reference if you're playing along at home. It it looks like in the end where the cave is collapsing around the pirate ship and you can tell the rocks are like painted on the background basically. Yeah. Like it's so bad. Yeah. And then just like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say something else. So you go ahead. You finish. And the last thing that I had was the just the coloring of the dinosaurs and maybe this is more for the next section but I just thought the choice of the like weird camouflagey color obviously we we only have dinosaur bones so we have no way of knowing what they looked like on the outside but I just thought the choice was weird and not that well animated so yeah I just this kind of I just remembered this or I just thought of this I will say I was pretty impressed with how they seamlessly had the computer-generated characters interact with the environment. I mean, I don't know for sure how they did that. You know, they'd you'd see them, like, walking on stones and, like, the stone would move. I think specifically there's one time where, like, they were rock- walking over, like, pebbles or, like, smaller rocks. And you could see kind of the rocks move as they stepped. And again, I don't know how really how they did that if those rocks were real or if they like computer animated the rocks that specifically interacted with the characters but I will say that they did a pretty good job of that granted I will say the the one specific where I don't think they did so great is with the journey of the egg like it splashes Mm. into water one time and like that kind of I don't know specifically what it was but it just looked kind of weird Mm. the way that the egg splashed in the water but in general I think they did a fairly good job with that the egg was weird itself like I couldn't tell if that was animated or if that was real also there's one not to be so nitpicky but there's one shot in the beginning of the movie where the dinosaur that's trying to steal the egg you see it from his perspective for like a split second and like it's like a a jerky camera move and I was like oh my god this is such a poor <laughs> cinematography choice like I would never have done that it looks so weird yeah and it's like, like the only time they do that where you see it from a specific character's perspective and I was like why would I don't know I just didn't like it yeah so for my rating like I'm deciding between three and four like I feel like I've been deciding for a lot of the categories <laughs> But I think I am going to go for just because I do think it was really quite good for the day that it came out. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like discount that work. And like I said, I do think I was semi-impressed with how they had the animation of the characters interact with the like quote live action background. So yeah, this one's really tough for me as well because I am also between a three and a four. But uh, just to shake things up, I'm going to go three. So one of the few times I've rate lower than Katie. Yeah. But I just think I have so many more cons than I have pros. But I, I don't think it deserves like a two or a one. I almost thought Katie might say that. but No, I feel like a two or a one would have to be much, much worse. <laughs> I don't know, especially a one. Yeah. It's, I mean, all of these ratings are kind of hard, but I'm trying to gauge what I rated other things and leave yeah. enough room in yeah. the future. But I, you know, I feel, I honestly feel like it was a toss up. I could have gone three or four. So yeah, for sure. 
So for arbitrary category, we're going to go with historical accuracy just because I think this is something we want to continue to talk about with mm. kind of movies that either are based on true events or specifically with this, it's semi-based on true events like Dinosaurs <laughs> Were on Earth. So I guess that's the true event that it was based on. They could have talked. You never know. Yeah, we we really don't know anything. <laughs> um, we are going to end up, I think, just to keep things consistent, giving this a 10, just because neither of us are really dinosaur experts, so we can't mm. really be critical. Yeah. But I think Rebecca does have a couple points to make. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I thought I wanted to be a paleontologist when I was younger, but I'm not a paleontologist, so, you know, don't come at me. I definitely have a couple points to bring up. I think we'll have to discuss this as we go into the future, when we, especially when we do historical accuracy, because I don't want to just give out 10s. But at the same time, I think it's fair to have every movie start at a 20 out of 100, yeah. which is what, would, what happens if we give arbitrary category a 10. But really, this is just going to be a discussion and then we'll officially give it a 10 but it will also give us a chance to bring up important points so the first thing that i found out when i was looking at this is several of the dinosaur species in the movie as well as the lemurs didn't actually coexist at the same time dinosaurs went extinct like 65 million years ago and i wish i knew off the top of my head when they first evolved but i I think they were around for like millions and millions of years, much, much, much longer than humans. So we think of dinosaurs as like all one thing, but actually there was the Triassic, the Jurassic, and the Cretaceous, like three of the geological eras, and dinosaurs existed that whole time. So like a lot of dinosaurs we think of, the T-Rex like only lived for a couple million years or whatever. The Triceratops, like, may not have lived at the same time as the T-Rex, even though we today think about it as kind of, like, all one time. So that's the first thing. And I believe there were mammals, specifically, like, if we're saying this movie happened before the dinosaur extinction, so, like, late Cretaceous, then there were mammals around, but I don't think there were lemurs around. Lemurs are a kind of a primate that, you know, evolved, I think, a bit later than the late Cretaceous. So even like the dinosaurs and the lemurs wouldn't have existed at the same time. The other big thing about historical accuracy is the asteroid impact. So like I guess we're led to believe that this isn't the one that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. Maybe like something that happened beforehand, which I don't know if there was like a big event or like even a small event that happened before that. That seems kind of strange to me. But I'm pretty sure like a meteorite or asteroid or whatever you want to call it of a certain size like causes instant vaporization of like anything within a certain radius depending on the size. So I'm pretty sure Aladar and family unfortunately would have just instantly been vaporized and wouldn't have been able to like outrun a meteor. And then also would have caused environmental effects afterward which is like really what killed the like rest of the dinosaurs on Earth and instantly killed a lot of them in the surrounding area. But then, like, the dust and debris that went into the atmosphere that, like, blocked the sun is probably, like, over time what ultimately would have led to their demise. Interesting. Oh, oh, I forgot. One more thing. So, with this build on the dinosaur, like, coloring and camouflage that I picked apart in the animation, I believe paleontologists today think that most dinosaurs were actually covered in feathers and not scales because while we think of dinosaurs as not 
guys completely going extinct that's not exactly what happened really like the surviving dinosaurs just continue to evolve because that's what species do and the descendants of dinosaurs like still can be seen today and they're birds so dinosaurs while we think of them as like reptiles like they're dinosaurs but they actually evolved into what are today birds so that's probably not what dinosaurs looked like but again that's hard to tell how accurate it is because like we really don't know for sure but in the last couple years I think they've changed pretty they've taken a different turn on that so anyway that's my piece on historical accuracy of of the movie dinosaur yeah so actually dinosaurs just looked like big yellow bird what was that big chi- big bird big, big bird, bird. <laughs> they big were bird. chickens yeah they were just big birds walking around basically yeah <laughs> So we're just going to go ahead and give them a 10 for her circle accuracy just to keep everything on an even playing field so that we can accurately compare these movies. Right. So with all the numbers plugged in, that officially gives Dinosaur a rating of 59 out of 100. Are you surprised? No. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of, I guess, I guess because it starts out Wait, so it starts out at a 20? Mm-hmm. Okay, so eh. after that, we really did it. We gave it pretty low scores if we discount the 20 that it already has, like as a cushion. Yeah, but. I guess I expected it maybe even to be a little bit lower, but it's not too far off that uh, Rotten Tomato score, which was what, that's 63, true, yeah. 64, 64, I think. something like that. Yeah, 64. So that's pretty close. So it's interesting. Yeah. We'll have to like maybe do a comparison of that uh, as we keep going, you know, keep comparing it to yeah. the Rotten Tomato score because that's also out of 100. Do you know if that 64 was the audience score or the critic score? Oh, oh, good question. It's whatever, like, one pops up first, like, the main yeah. score. I feel like that might be the audience score. Okay, I can't remember. Anyway, so, you know, not too bad. I honestly maybe expected it to be a little lower, and we won't always do this as we add more and more movies, but just a comparison to the only other two we've rated. So Onward has a 73, and Snow White has a 55. So that puts Dinosaur in squarely in second place with four, four more uh, points than snow white yeah i think that maybe as we go on it could be fun to maybe just mention the one above and below it just to kind of have like where it's placed yeah stay tuned to our um next episode announcement because dinosaur might stay in second place guys (laughs) just a little teaser so moving on to the main street daily news even though it's really the main street monthly daily news We have a lot. We got so much information from Dizzy Investor Day. But quick before I get into that, just as a reminder, I think I mentioned this in the Onward episode, Stole will be dropping on Disney Plus, I think, maybe also in theaters. I know Wonder Woman 1984 is HBO Max and theaters. I have absolutely no clue. Theaters aren't open here. Yeah, um, but you can watch it on Disney Plus on Christmas Day at no additional cost, which is interesting because Mulan did need premiere access. And then the next movie being dropped by Disney is Raya and the Last Dragon, and that is dropping on Disney Plus on March 5th, and that you need premiere access for. So it was interesting because when they announced Soul, you didn't need it. I was like, oh, it must not have worked very well for Mulan, which I don't think it really did, honestly. And so they're like, oh, they're not going to do it. They're just going to rely on the 
increase of subscribers for the new movie releases, but they're not because Raya also needs premiere access. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I wonder if they kind of just really needed to get Soul out before Raya and we're just, just put on like Christmas. It'll be fine. Cause they've just been teasing Soul. I feel like for such a long time now, but Soul is dropping on Christmas Day at no additional cost, and then Raya is dropping on March 5th at an additional cost. And even though I, we didn't shell out money for Mulan, I think we will probably shell out money for Raya. I know that it's like kind of silly because we're probably gonna get for free what, like three or four months later? Was that what it was with Mulan? Maybe like four or five months? Because um, now it's on Disney Plus at mm -hmm. no additional cost if you want to watch it. It was December 4th. I can't remember. I think it was October that it came out on Premiere Access. Okay, so like two months. Yeah, it really two wasn't months. that long. But as you all know, as listeners, I was not excited about Mulan. I'm really excited for Raya. Yeah, I, I'm excited too. For sure. I think we will get the Premiere Access. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely more excited I'm just based on the fact like a live action remake versus a an original story, honestly. So then getting into the Disney Investor Day announcement. So for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to limit this to Disney and Pixar animated announcements. I'm not going to go with any of the live action TV shows and movies that they announced or the Marvel and Star Wars just because it would be way too much to talk about. So starting with Disney, they announced a Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers TV show starring Andy Samberg and John Mulaney. I believe so that should be really quite funny I have always really liked Chippendale I don't know why I um I don't know I feel like I just have a memory of like watching their like shorts that they would play kind of on Disney Channel I don't know I think that they're really fun so they should be a fun TV show and then some other shows that they announced they announced a collection of four kind of like a throwback to like the Emperor's New School or the Hercules TV show or the Little Mermaid TV show. They're doing a Baymax TV show, which I will say between recording and recording onward in this episode, I have watched the Big Hero 6 TV show on Disney Plus. It's very good. It's only two seasons. Highly recommend. So they're really, they announced a Baymax TV show, a Zootopia Plus TV show which I'm also very excited for because I love Zootopia. I feel like it's one of those Disney movies that was like super hyped when it came out and then since it's kind of like dropped off in popularity, but I love Zootopia. And then two icons, Tiana and Moana, are getting their own TV shows. So these should be so good. I'm so excited for all of these. It should be really fun and I kind of hope that they don't make them too kiddish. I like hope that they do kind of put a lot of effort into the writing so that not saying that those more kid geared TV shows like adults can't enjoy because I enjoy the Big Hero 6 TV show, but I don't think it was very like kiddified, if that makes sense. So I really hope that they put like effort into those and I think they will. So then some new original announcements. I'm afraid I'm going to say this incorrectly because I did not watch any of the video announcements. I've just read stuff. Um, so I've only seen this in writing, but they announced a Iwaju or Iwaju, which is a new science fiction. It's animated. It's a new science fiction series with, which is a collaboration with the, a Pan Af the Pan-African Entertainment Company. So that should be really cool. And I believe Ryan Coogler is working on this. Um, and if you don't know who Ryan Coogler is, he was the director of Black Panther and is going to be the director of the second Black Panther movie that's coming out. So 
it should be really good. I'm really excited for that. So it should, it sounds interesting, a science fiction series. So pretty cool. And then a new animated film was announced as well called Encanto. And this music is done by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And if you don't know who that is, he's the writer of Hamilton and then starred in Hamilton and then also did the music for Moana. So Encanto is guaranteed to have a fire soundtrack, if nothing else, basically. So excited. I'm a huge Lin fan. Yeah, it should be really good. So then moving on to some Pixar announcements. They announced a Doug Day show, which is Doug from Up, and a car show, which is Lightning McQueen and Tomater. I think these are probably the two I'm least excited for. Both Up and Cars are like not my favorite Pixar movies, so I don't know if I'll watch those, to be honest. It looks like I'll have a lot of other stuff to keep me busy, so... They also announced that Luca will be coming out in June of 2021 and that Turning Red, so we already knew about Luca, Turning Red was a new announcement and that's coming out March 2022 and this is a story of a 13 year old girl like going through puberty and kind of, I think they mentioned like body insecurity or like feeling weird in your body and then apparently she spontaneously turns into a giant red panda. They compared it to Hulk. So I don't know if it's like a one time she turns into a giant red panda or she randomly does throughout the movie. So sounds like a really weird concept. And this is um, directed by the director of the short Bao. Bao kind of had that quirky, little bit odd storyline. So I wonder if this is kind of along the same vein, but it should be fun. And then lastly, they also announced Lightyear, which is like a Buzz Lightyear origin story, basically, starring Chris Evans as Bud Lightyear. <laughs> so honestly, what is there not to be excited about? I think that I th from what I've seen on the internet, I think this is the one that kind of is the most controversial. <laughs> I think that people just saw it as like another Toy Story movie and are not super excited about it. But I just want to be clear, from what I understand, this is not the story of Woody's Buzz Lightyear. This is the story of the Buzz Lightyear character that Woody's toy is based off of. Or sorry, Andy. I said Woody twice, I think. Andy's toy, Buzz. So that's why it's voiced not by Tim Allen. It's voiced by Chris Evans. And I think it'll go more into like his origin story and why he is so popular. And I think... I think it was mentioned maybe in Toy Story 2, there was like an ad for Buzz Lightyear and it mentioned that he was like a superhero. So maybe we'll see kind of the event. So I'm really excited for Lightyear actually. And the promo shot that they released of it looks so cool. Yeah. So he's not a toy. So it's not Toy Story because it's about Buzz Lightyear the person, not Buzz Lightyear yeah. the toy. Yeah, and it's like Buzz Lightyear Rescue Rangers. Um, there's like a movie that actually came out in 2000 that was kind of this. In universe, there's Buzz Lightyear Rescue Rangers. That's the show or the movie that Buzz Lightyear character comes from. And then they released, quote unquote, that movie, I believe, in 2000. So it should be interesting. Yeah. Just to circle back to Turning Red just for a second, because I this was one I feel like I completely missed. Like, I didn't know about it until you read it out. And I'm super excited that it's by the director of Bao, because that's some cool representation. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, I think the concept sounds really funny, and I hope she turns into a panda when she's, like, mad or something, and she's like, mm. that's my secret. I'm always mad. Yeah, I'm always angry. <laughs> I'm always angry. Uh, yeah, so, I'm like I said, I'm mostly excited about all of those, mm. and then we're obviously extremely excited about, like, most of the Marvel, if not all of the Marvel, in Star Wars announcements as yeah. well. I am... I also recently watched all of Clone Wars and Rebels, <laughs> so I'm a huge Ahsoka stan now. <laughs> so I'm so excited for her show. I yeah, it just every the Bad Batch show. I'm also extremely excited <laughs> for. So it should be good. Clone Wars is next on my list, so we'll see if I actually get around to it ever. But it was an overwhelming number of announcements and day for sure for anyone who's like a Disney fan or a Star Wars fan or a Marvel fan. And being a fan of all of those was just like, oh, crazy. So without further ado, drumroll please, our next episode announcement, Katie did the random number generator for this. And we our next podcast episode is going to be about Cars three so i know katie's so excited she's looks pained right now because she said cars is her absolute favorite remember she said she's so much yeah, yeah the most the thing she's most excited about is mater's new show so yeah i have seen cars three just one time and only because it was one of the only pixar movies i hadn't seen at the time like three four to five years ago when I watched it so yeah I have not seen I actually have not seen Cars 2 or Cars 3 so those are like (laughs) so are you gonna watch Cars 2 before you watch Cars 3 no I've heard Cars 2 is the worst I know but like you're watching the third movie with I feel like you definitely do not need to watch Cars 2 yeah I was gonna say isn't Cars 2 kind of I've heard it described as the minion syndrome. Everybody liked Mater, but you only like Mater because he's not the main character. (laughs) And then, like, once he is the main character, he's super annoying and he's better as a side character. Kind of like the minions. I hardly hardly remember Cars 2, which I have seen also just one time. But I don't think you have to watch Cars 2 to watch Cars 3. I think there's nothing plot-wise that you miss. I do know a little bit about the story of Cars 3 because I have done Buzz Light, or not Buzz Light, <laughs> Lightning <laughs> Queens Racing Academy mm-hmm. at Hollywood Studios. So, like, they it's they ask you, like, quiz questions about who did I race against and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So I know, like, the characters mm-hmm. for the most part and kind of what happens in Cars 3, but I've never seen it. So that should be exciting. I was hoping to kind of break up like Dinosaur as like a less popular movie with a more popular movie. But interestingly enough, which I don't know if we did because I wouldn't consider Cars 3 like super popular. But we ha- so far we have gone Disney, Pixar, Disney, Pixar. So it'll be interesting Ooh. to see what happens. So Cars 3 just officially typed it in the rating master list and it's on our schedule. So yeah, stay tuned. I really enjoyed talking about Dinosaur. It's back-to-back two movies that I haven't seen. So Dinosaur and then Cars 3, so it should be fun. Hopefully it won't go three in a row. Oh my god, yeah. Well, I don't... Yeah, there's definitely ones I haven't seen. Like, I've never seen Bolt just off the top of my head because we talked about that earlier. But thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that it either gave you a reason before watching or listening to the episode to maybe rewatch Dinosaur or maybe after we inspired you to go back and check it out because it's probably one that you haven't seen in a while Mm -hmm. slash you've never seen. So give some love to it. Um, You can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at greatmovie underscore pod. We're on Instagram at greatmoviepod. And then you can email us 
any time on your thoughts on the movie that we talked about. Maybe if you went ahead and did your own rating, let us know what you rated. Or maybe just telling us what episodes that you're looking forward to in the future. But you can email us at greatmoviepod at gmail.com. And you can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at Podbean. Make sure, especially if you use Apple Podcasts, to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes that come out once a month. And make sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much for listening. Have a magical day, and we'll see you at the movies. (laughs) 